Hello and welcome to Reimagining Trucking, the latest episode of Live on Web looking at Transport Topic's annual Top 100 list of the largest for hire carriers in North America. We'll explore what motor carriers are doing to nurture it, acquire it, and use it to redefine their businesses and remain competitive in an age of rapid technological change and demanding service requirements. To thrive in this environment and attract <coughs> new employees, there's a growing sense that trucking firms must take action to become more interesting and, yes, more innovative places to work. Joining me in the studio to discuss this is Daniel Berth, Senior Features Writer for Transport Topics and the driving force behind the Top 100 list. Later in the program, we'll bring in Hayden Cardiff, CEO of Idelic Inc., a tech startup that applies algorithms to help fleets identify which drivers are at risk for accidents or safety violations. As we continue, we'll play recorded interviews with two other special guests, Ryan Rogers, Chief Transformational Officer at Covenant Transport in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Britton Ladd, an independent consultant and former logistics executive at Amazon. As we get into this discussion, we also invite you to participate in the live program by emailing your questions or comments to share at ttnews.com. The sponsors for today's program are EBE and Fleet Locate. We'll talk about the top 100 list itself a bit later in the program, but first, let's talk about the latest wave of innovation that we're seeing in this industry. So Dan, take us through why you decided to focus on innovation in your coverage this year. Yes, thank you, Seth. Um, why innovation? Um, uh, it's, it's, it's because, um, in my opinion, uh, we're at a point in this, in, in this industry where innovation is becoming um, uh, an important factor in, in determining whether companies uh, can be successful in, in their business and uh, adaptable to the changing needs and requirements uh, for, for their customers. So think about trucking um, for years, and, and it still is, I mean, it's a business uh, of details. Uh, right. There are lots of things that uh, management needs to control, like trucks and drivers and, and equipment. There are things that it can't control, like the weather, um, the cost of fuel, uh, a variety of things. So they're, they're, uh, it, it's a complicated business uh, and one that has um, uh, many people feel not uh, adopted technology um, at a rapid enough pace, sure. at least not as fast as some other industries, right? So I feel like um, there's opportunity here right. to, to apply technology to what trucking does and improve many of the processes that we have in place, which many are, are still based on paper uh, there's um, a lot of wasted time involved in shipping freight. Uh, all these things um, have, we can improve upon uh, with the right technology and, uh, and changing the way uh, we maybe think of our business. So I see a lot of activity in the industry right now and uh, um, I think this will be a, a major point of differentiation for companies going forward. Uh, no doubt about that. And uh, Dan, maybe you can give us a few examples of this type of innovation. You know, what are some of the companies that are you know, good examples of this type of innovation? Great. Um, let's start by talking about J.B. Hunt Transport Services. Um, this is a company um, um, that I think is very interesting because it has gone through several um, um, uh, versions of redefining itself over the right. years, right? This is a company that started out um, by an entrepreneur and his wife 
in the truckload business shortly after deregulation and quickly became you know one of the biggest uh, over-the-road drive-in truckload carriers in the country right in the early 90s uh, they realized uh, uh, that it was becoming uh, very difficult to manage a business like that especially with drivers and so they uh, began to convert some of their freight to intermodal Today, they're the largest intermodal service provider in the country. Um, and then after that, they launched uh, new initiatives into dedicated contract carriage, um, you know, becoming a, de a delivery company uh, for major shippers, and also starting a, a freight brokerage business. Uh, uh, and what we see this company doing now, I think, is very interesting. Um, they are... Um, uh, taking advantage of uh, the fact that they have access to um, so much information about freight, where it is and, and, and who can haul it, um, that they are in a position of using technology to um, design uh, supply chains for their customers. So they're becoming a logistics engineering enterprise, right, that crosses all modes and is not defined by geography. Uh, 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 and this is something that I think a lot of companies uh, have the opportunity to do. Um, Schneider is maybe another company worth um, highlighting because uh, over the years it's also developed a very large logistics um, enterprise. And um, uh, th these companies, if they um, step back and, and look at uh, the data that they have in their systems today, I think they'll find uh, that they have an opportunity in, uh, to help their customers uh, with their shipping needs in ways that mm -hmm. maybe they haven't thought of before. Yeah, and so. you know, it's really fascinating because trucking is traditionally viewed as a rather conservative industry and not the always going to be on the, the bleeding edge of new technology and new ideas, but you point out some of these examples and there are uh, a lot of trucking companies that are really trying out new stuff and really looking at their business in, in new ways. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt that um, the industry is, is in the strongest um, freight market in 50 years probably. So uh, trucking has, has been a, over, you, know, you know, for many years, a you know, very low margin business. And so the, the kinds of things that you may have looked at before uh, in technology or, um, and uh, the return on investment uh, um, may have been more limited because you just didn't have the means. But today, uh, we not only have a very healthy, uh, financially healthy industry with money to spend, we've got technology companies on the outside looking at the industry and um, offering numerous ideas and suggestions and uh, ways of, of doing business uh, that are different. Uh, and so the opportunity um, um, it, um, is great, I think, to to actually uh, implement many of these these things. It's 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 been very interesting for me to see um, companies um, reach out to um, Silicon Valley, for for lack of a better word, but you know, people that are starting up new companies, um, um, reaching out to people who are not in trucking, uh, who can come in and maybe uh, provide uh, a spark. Um, you know, a good example of that is um, Brad Jacobs at XPO, who over the five or six years has, through acquisitions, built um, 
a, a transportation service company that is really unlike any other that's out there, right? It, it crosses all modes, and, and uh, he's said many times uh, that uh, technology is, is, is going to be the thing that um, eventually um, um, gives him the advantage over his competitors. So he's investing heavily in that. And um, Don Dasky is, is perhaps another good example of a guy who came into the industry from outside. I think he was in real estate, right? And he saw an opportunity to uh, consolidate um, some companies that were in the flatbed business. Um, so, you know, consolidation, you know, has been around for, for many years. We've seen a lot of that, but, um, uh, but Don, Don deserves credit, I think, for um, not just bringing companies together, but making them um, um, de uh, work differently with each other, right? Uh, sharing resources, certainly, but, but also uh, um, um, sharing freight, um, so eliminating some um, com uh, excess capacity in the system, perhaps, making life better for, for their drivers, giving them more career mm -hmm. opportunities, um, sharing stock um, ownership with the drivers, giving them some stake in the business. Right. I mean, I think this is part of a, uh, another, um, you know, shift in, in, in attitude that I see in the industry towards, you know, developing um, uh, sustainable enterprises that, um, um, that, that treat drivers better, uh, um, uh, not so much a, a commodity um, uh, as they have in the past. So. Um, these, there's a, that's a couple examples of, of, of companies that I think are doing something interesting. Um, um, so, I think now, to maybe underscore this point uh, of this change in attitude in the industry towards innovation, uh, let's uh, introduce uh, an interview that we did with uh, Ryan Rogers, the Chief Transformational Officer at Covenant. Um, want to play that clip now? I want to ask you first of all if, if you could characterize for us the state of innovation in trucking. You're relatively new to, uh, to, to Covenant in, in this position, but what is your impression of, uh, 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 of the, the uh, state of innovation that, that you see the, the, the freight transportation uh, business being in today? Yeah, I think uh, I think right now it, it's probably the most exciting I've ever seen. So I'm somewhat of a longer term career, roughly 19 years in the transportation um, between being in the truckload side of the business between U.S. Express, Amazon and now here at Covenant. Um, and it, it is the most exciting time I've ever seen. I mean, it's uh, the market's hot. The interest is hot um, with all the different pieces that we've seen from the from the past and the technology interest between venture capital, private equity, uh, you got everybody from Amazon, Uber to small mom and pop starting e-commerce business with Final Mile, um, all those things and how it's affecting the industry. We've got more people and it seems like more money being thrown at um, thrown at this market than we've ever seen. Yeah, there is a lot going on for sure. Um, what is the best way in your mind for a trucking company to participate in this uh, activity? Um, and promote innovation both within the, the company and, and maybe with partners outside? 
Well, I think the, the biggest part, number one, is make the commitment. So that's what Covenant has done is they've made the commitment to make innovation important in our business. Um, they did that in a, a few different ways. One, um, creating my role and my position within the company that says, hey, we need to be more innovative, we need to be open-minded, and we need to uh, approach that both in every direction, top-down, bottom-up, middle-out, whatever it takes. Um, the biggest thing is making the commitment to do that. And, the, and I would say the second biggest thing is uh, kind of once you've spent the money to do that, then how do you additionally reinforce it? And it's creating open-mindedness, being open-minded to allow those ideas to get flourished throughout the organization. Um, and actually, I was at an innovation conference, a uh, little lunch and learn meeting today, and it really talked about how you affect that. And it's if you can affect 20% of the people, can make a, you, you try to affect 80% of what they're doing instead of trying to affect the 80% so that, that can, innovation can grow throughout the organization, but making a commitment to it. And, and that commitment, depending on the size company, can be very large, it can be very small. The innovation side of our business is one piece of my pillar. It's not all I do every day, but it is making a commitment to do that. We've also made a commitment that we've hired an innovation strategist um, that deals with um, innovation day to day so that we make sure we have a focus on it every day. But it's really a change in the culture internally to say we're open minded. We want to hear new ideas in those. When I say innovation, it's everything from little things to make drivers things work better for our drivers, visibility, things that help um, from a customer perspective, but it's also just the block and tackling. I mean, that can be innovative to do things different than you used to previously do it. That's more focused on the internal. The external is be open to having time and, and again, a little bit of commitment there too, with talking to the different software providers, the different hardware providers, the different vendors in the market with what they're doing so that you have time to research it, listen and learn um, outside of that, what we have done, is just, I think, has taken a next step for us is uh, we fortunately, Chattanooga being a nice market for supply chain and logistics and trucking, um, there's a venture capital firm here, Dynamo, I know you've done some coverage for them. In the past is we are, um, are a lead sponsor for them. So we're getting great brand recognition from that, but we're also getting visibility to, to be in front of 20 new products that are coming to market, 20 new ideas. And that has made a big difference. And it's got a, that's an external internal. It's got our internal uh, people fired up. Just this week, um, we actually are vetting a process with a couple of, um, couple of great young individuals here at our office with new ideas. And they felt comfortable to set up a meeting with me and come in here and we brainstorm. So I'm excited with what the commitment that uh, Covenant Transport is making to the industry uh, for not only us, but for the whole, the industry as a whole and bring, bring that recognition to what's needed. Yeah. Yes, hello. Uh, we're back, and uh, that was very interesting to hear uh, Ryan talk about what uh, they're doing at Covenant and working with uh, startups. Um, I'm very pleased to, to be joined on the, on the desk here with uh, Hayden Cardiff of a company called Idelic Incorporated, and uh, this is a company that has uh, that was spun off from Pitt, Ohio, and. Uh, uh, it's a very interesting story. Hayden, could you tell us a little about how this business got started and the, the nature of your relationship with uh, Pitt, Ohio? Sure, sure. And thank you so much for having me, Dan. Uh, it all kind of starts with safety and how important safety is throughout the industry. And Pitt, Ohio 
over the past two decades has really grown to be one of the leaders within safety. And, and that it was in large part not only to their safety culture, but also because of an internal application that they had built from the, from the ground up uh, there called Safety Box. And so that program was essentially in response to uh, the lack of information they were able to gather throughout all the different systems that helped them understand driver behavior. And so they tried to remedy that by building this building the system and what they were able to do was pretty remarkable. They were able to start to integrate a lot of the systems together. They were able to uh, essentially start to understand driver behavior in a way that they'd never been able to do before because they started to have more of that data uh, at their fingertips. And so mm -hmm. what, they, what they realized though is there was so much potential in the software and there's so much potential in the overarching value to the industry as a whole that they couldn't get out there because they are a trucking company and they, they knew that that's what they did well and, and software wasn't necessarily, software commercialization wasn't necessarily something that, that they were trying to, to pursue. And so I knew Chuck Hamill, the CEO there, and, and we had a, a lot of conversations around this and we decided that the best opportunity for getting this technology and getting this, this idea of being able to kind of bring all of that information and predict and, and help prevent accidents to the industry would be to spin off into its own separate software company. So uh, I pulled together a team and we spun out and we took that initial application or the initial prototype is what we, we have come to call it and, and we've rebuilt that from the ground up and added a lot of really, really cutting edge technology to it. And one of the things that was really interesting to us was to see kind of the, the ability that Pit Ohio had in, in predicting accidents and what we've been able to add uh, on top of that with technology like machine learning and, and predictive analytics and artificial intelligence. And so uh, looking back at some of, the, some of the benefits that they were able to see with this original product safety box, they, they saw about 21% accuracy in being able to identify and predict which drivers would ultimately get in accidents. And so going from no prediction to almost you know, a quarter of, of all accidents being able to, to intervene beforehand, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, but what we've been able to see is in being able to tie in all the different systems in a much more integrated fashion and a much more uh, streamlined process through API integrations and being able to run all of this data through a predictive analytical machine learning model, we've seen that number jump from 21 to now over 90%. So being able to to pinpoint nine out of 10 drivers and give corrective action and coaching before those accidents happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, this is a good example of what I was talking about earlier uh, of uh, companies having in their own uh, 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 company uh, data that is uh, very, potentially very useful. And, and it, it, in your case, you're using the safety data uh, in a way that not only helps uh, Pitt, Ohio, but um, uh, something that could help the whole industry if we can get our hands around, you know, all <laughs> of the information that... Absolutely. Right? And, and I think gone are the days that data is too sparse or we don't have enough to really make good decisions. Now, yeah. it's, you know, fleets are just getting inundated. There's just too much data available and not enough insights coming from that data to do something with. And so that was one of the first problems we looked at tackling was how do we take this fire hose of data that often seems just overwhelming to fleets and make good decisions and, and get real insights out of that. And I think 
that was one of the first things that we wanted to do, and I think we've been very successful in, in not only with, with co uh, customers and partners like Pitt, Ohio, but also uh, the other fleets that we work with and, and potentially the, the industry at large. And being able to now take in all of these different data sources, mm -hmm. like your onboard telematics, your cameras, your FMCSA portal, the HR systems, your trainings, the background checks, driver qualification files, there's so much mm -hmm. data there. But for us as human beings, it's, it's incredibly difficult, pretty much impossible to be able to look at all those different data sets across all of your drivers and then be able to pull out which the leading indicators and, and be able to weight what's more important versus another and make good understanding and good decisions based on, based on those, that prediction. Yeah. D what advice would you give other trucking companies who may be interested in working with startups or um, bringing in people from outside? Um, wh where do they find the talent, uh, I guess, and where do they get the money? Uh, how does it work? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Ryan brought up a, a great point as far as working with places like Dynamo, right? So there, there are definitely vehicles out there for trucking companies and uh, and people within this industry to go out and work with incredibly talented, incredibly smart people who might not have the trucking background to go in and solve really interesting problems. And I think the, the, the issue arises, especially when you have really smart, really bright people who don't have that trucking background to try to come in and impose their, their view or I guess their their mantra upon the trucking industry, which, mm. which um, you know, gets a bad rep for not for not for being slow moving and not being adopting technology, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's definitely more so the case of there has to be that ingrained trucking know-how, right? You, you, other people trying to come in and push solutions that don't fix real problems just because the technology is available doesn't help anyone, mm -hmm. and so I think trucking fleets and other people within the transportation logistics industry have a real strong opportunity to bring what they do best to the table, which is trucking, which yeah. is logistics, yeah. which is transportation, and, yeah. and then allow that to kind of permeate through the technology and, and those trying to come into the industry uh, with a little less knowledge. And so we've been very, very fortunate in having partners like Pitt, Ohio, who, uh, in my opinion, have done really, really well at giving us the, the opening doors and helping us, uh, I guess, better understand some of the issues and problems around trucking. Even though a lot of our team had transportation backgrounds, uh, you know, there's still, you know, we don't know everything, right? Even, right. even you know, even uh, it, it takes seasoned professionals to really get a good understanding of the transportation and logistics world. And yeah. so being able to work with partners who can go hands off when it comes to day-to-day -day running the company and let, you know, let us kind of do our thing, but also open doors and really help us with the, the problems at hand and making sure that we stay rooted to our trucking background is, is really important. So I think if you strike that balance as far as understanding what you can do and what you bring to the table and letting the companies that are trying to start these companies that are trying to bring innovation to the industry also do what they're really good at I think there's a good partnership to be had. Yeah. Do you think there's a real change in attitude in, in the industry towards innovation? Uh, when you're you know, approaching companies, uh, wh what do you find? I mean, do you find them a little hesitant or still? Or is there 
uh, you know, some excitement on their part in, in pursuing some new ideas. There's absolutely a tremendous excitement around innovation and technology, especially in trucking and transportation. And I think, again, the industry gets a bad rap. And I think mm. that goes back to needing that hard ROI for them to adopt any technology. And you can't fault them for that. I think now with technology being as prevalent as it is, with the ability for other vendors to now come in and really understand the problems at hand, really understand where the big ticket items that these fleets are, are struggling with, driver turnover, accident rates, uh, combining and connecting all of their, their third party systems and getting the value out of government mandated uh, technology that, that is in the trucks now with ELDs and, and certain aspects of telematics. Mm -hmm. I mean, without those connecting and without really getting as much value, they're not seeing the ROI. And so being able to come in and now express and identify what are these main pain points, how we can specifically address driver turnover, how we can specifically address uh, accident reduction and, and, and prevention, mm -hmm. that resonates. And we've seen tremendous response from the industry. And we've We've been very, very welcomed as far as what we're doing and how we're doing it. And I mean, the other key aspect of this is the driver. And I think you've, you've done well at mentioning them within the, within the equation. I think a lot of the new technology in the past has, has come out without really thinking about the drivers in mind. Yeah. And I think you, know, you look at some of the camera technologies and others that, that have gotten a little bit of, a little bit of pushback from the driver pool, and I think it was because they, they weren't really considered within that equation. I think now people are starting to, to really bring that in and say, all right, how do we not only benefit the fleets themselves, how, don't, how do we benefit the industry as a whole, but now how do we bring the drivers back into this equation and really make them more comfortable, more, uh, more really more benefited throughout, throughout this process. Yeah, excellent. Um, I'd like to uh, interject a question now that we received from one of our readers, or viewers, I should say. Um, Heather Darrington of uh, a company called Flash Freight Systems um, has asked uh, where drivers are looking to find driving positions uh, in the industry. Um, and you know, this question of you know, where, to, where to find drivers is uh, definitely a moving target. Um, um, uh, um, but what's clear to me uh, in my reporting is that uh, drivers have become, you know, a real force in the marketplace uh, that hasn't always been the case. So, you know, we are uh, short of drivers, and we always have, but mm -hmm. with the strong market that we're in, drivers have the, um, uh, a voice now <laughs> that I think more executives are paying attention to. Right. So there's kind of a role reversal going on here where you know, where companies, uh, um, executives are learning, uh, or at least paying attention more to, to their drivers and what they need to do their jobs. And uh, so um, um, in your case, since you're working with safety data and so forth, can you talk a little about what you, you see as the, the future possibilities of, of, of using this data sure. uh, over time because I think it's it's something that uh, maybe could help drivers. Uh. Absolutely, and I think you're, you're spot on when you say that right now with the shortage and, and rates continuing to rise, it, it's just a good time for trucking companies as a whole, but yet the drivers now are, are at such a premium. 
And they're starting to get a little bit more of, of that, that power kind of shifted back in, on their side. And I think that's, that's critical for them, and I think that's a wonderful thing. But also, they still lack a little bit of a vehicle and a voice to now rise up from the rest. And so with, with only a background check and an MVR to, to wield in front of a potential hire, or a potential, you know, a potential fleet to go work for, th there's not really a whole lot that distinguishes a safe driver from uh, an average driver, right? So right. How, how do they go about really understanding and, and really pushing their brand as a driver and, and their ability to get better jobs and better positions at better fleets? And so what we see as the potential is the opportunity for the drivers themselves to now have this data, this, this, this credibility go with them from fleet to fleet. Right, yeah, so but what you're talking about, I think, is the, the idea of uh, giving a driver a, a risk score, right, uh, which is based on your analysis yep. of their driving records and, and a variety of things. Uh, and and uh, the analogy that you used uh, was, was that uh, most people are familiar with a credit score sure. that they have is based on your purchasing practices, right? Well, drivers have a record um, of some kind, but uh, as you said, it's difficult to uh, uh, put that on, on paper, if yeah. you will, or, yeah. and put it into a, a number that, that, that they can use. But it sounds like you, you're thinking that there, there's potential here for, for drivers to, uh, to have an objective source of information about their real safety record, and then they could certainly use that to their advantage. And, a absolutely, right? and we like to think of it as, as a safety score, right? So the drivers can now go in and have a full understanding of how they're doing, how they can improve, but more importantly, mm -hmm. it's, it creates kind of a win-win for the drivers themselves and the fleets, right? So the fleets on the flip side are throwing darts at a, in the dark mm -hmm. and, and trying to hire drivers that they don't have sufficient data and, and insight as far as their history, their background, their reliability. And so you get a lot of this turnover mm -hmm. that we're seeing run rampant through the industry because there's not the culture fit, there's not uh, the understanding of their, the driver's performance. And so this helps really the driver to rise above the rest and, and, and be able to kind of promote themselves with a good, solid understanding of, look, I am a safe driver. I've, I'm very responsible and I do my job and I'm a professional. Mm -hmm. And then be able to take that to a fleet and say, look, you want me. And the fleet being able to, on the flip side of that, knowing exactly what they're getting. And even if there are some, you know, there's some things in the driver's past, they now understand where to help that driver. And that's, for us, that's our biggest thing. We, we, when we go to fleets, uh, telling them, hey, we can help you identify your best drivers, but also your most at-risk drivers. That is not so they can go and get rid of drivers or fire. That's so they can keep help them. keep them, coach yeah. them, get yeah. them back to where they need to be. Because if you don't know anything, you're, you're letting good drivers either walk out the door mm -hmm. or drivers who need help are going without the training or the coaching specific to their needs that will get them back on the road safely. I mean, we've had fleets come to us who are using our, our software and say, look, you helped us prevent an accident because we had no clue something was going on, but you flagged this driver who was traditionally safe, 
a couple telematics events. There was an HR. Uh, they came late to work. An argument with the manager. Small backup accident. Non-DOT recordable at, at a terminal. We pulled him in and realized his parents needed to go into assisted living home. So he wasn't focused on the job. He was stressed out. And so they gave him a couple days off. Took care of his business. They came back and performed normally. Now that not only is an accident saved, but also that that driver's job. Oh. And so our whole goal is retention by prevention. So essentially helping these fleets keep their drivers and helping the drivers get the help they need to keep them on the road safely. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, let's move on to another example of innovation in trucking. <clears throat> we have an interview with someone who believes the industry is ready for a new business model. And this is something that, again, is centered on uh, creating better jobs for drivers. So um, right now we're going to go to a clip from Britain Ladd. Could you spend a few minutes talking a little bit about the, the business model that you have uh, developed and how you think it will address some of the needs of shippers and carriers? Well, the, the, the thing that I have put my focus on is this. There are many companies out there that are saying we're going to be the Uber of trucking. And Uber itself has Uber trucking. And what you find is that there's a, there's a tremendous focus on the technology aspect of applying technology to try and make transportation trucking more efficient. What I've done is this. I've made the argument that if you really want to make trucking efficient, address the primary constraints that exist within trucking. So the methodology I've come up with is this. If you take technology, and you allow that technology to be leveraged for a third-party operation where you create a consortium of trucking companies. So what does that mean? There are over 500,000 trucking companies in the United States today, some large, some small. If you take the larger trucking companies and you have them join a consortium, what you're asking them to do is this, join a consortium and abide by some, some specific rules, specific regulations. And what I've asked them to do is this. If you join the consortium, allow your drivers to become contractors and allow your drivers to be paid by the hour and not by the mile and allow your drivers to drive any truck for any other consortium member. In addition, allow your truck to pull any trailer of any consortium member. And more importantly, allow your truck to operate 24-7, 365 days a year. And the way that's accomplished is by switching out drivers wherever necessary to ensure there's always a driver behind the wheel with enough hours to keep the truck moving. And I've done tremendous amounts of research on this. I actually started doing this at Dell. I perfected it at Amazon. And I was fortunate enough to get a lot of data from 2016, 2017. And when I applied this methodology to the annual loads, the annual freight tonnage that was moved in those years, this methodology can move that same amount of freight, but do so with about 33% fewer trucks. So I've had multiple people per, uh, evaluate the model. I know the model works. And it's just something that I've enjoyed talking about because a lot of trucking executives are now reaching out to me and they're fascinated by the idea. 
Yeah, it, it's interesting to me as well because um, it, you seem to be focusing here on something that um, uh, more companies I, I think are interested in doing, which is uh, collaborating with other companies. It could be their competitors, it could be in some cases their shippers. Uh, so they're looking outside of their own company to, for more efficiencies and this might be one way to, to get it. Um, what sort of reaction have you gotten from uh, fleets and how would you uh, implement this plan, do you think? How do you think it's going to play out over time? How long would it take to, to, incorporate, to, to create something like this? Well, the, the feedback I got um, and the way I actually perfected this is I actually started with truck drivers first. And I started speaking with drivers. And I said, look, I'm going to run something by you. And I want you to tell me if you think it's a good idea or a bad idea. And you know as well as I do, truck drivers are going to tell you the truth. If they think it's good, they'll tell you. If they think it's bad, they'll tell you that too. And I was very surprised by how many truck drivers immediately latched onto the idea. And they liked it. The only thing that concerned them is a lot of drivers are comfortable driving the same truck over and over, and oftentimes they prefer that. But what I said to them is crush all assumptions. Don't, don't think about this only from your perspective as a driver and your comfort level. Just look at it from the idea itself. And I, and I spoke with a few drivers and then dozens of drivers until I've spoken with hundreds of drivers. And the drivers all told me, they're like, this absolutely can work. But the thing they were concerned with is, well, what would executives think about this? And so when I started to speak with executives, the thing that I asked them is, walk me through where your biggest pain points are. And it was always, I can't find enough drivers. I can't take on more business or I go through these cycles where I have too many trucks and not enough work, or I have too few trucks and way too much work. And the thing that I focused on with the executives was really helping them understand that if you collaborate, collaboration to me accelerates innovation. And that's a phrase I use with them. Don't maintain your same business model, whether you're Schneider, J.B. Hunt, doesn't matter, big or small. If your business model is, I'm going to have my own trucks, I'm going to have to find my own drivers, and I'm only going to operate as an independent trucking company, your frame of reference and vision is very narrow. So what I ask executives to do is crush all assumptions and imagine if you had an ability for a third party to where they're accepting loads, from third from shippers all across the US, retailers, manufacturers, doesn't matter. For dry van, for reefers, for liquid bulk, for flatbed, doesn't matter. This third party has an ability to receive the loads. And if part of that process, you as, as a member of a consortium, you simply say, leverage my trucks, leverage my trucks to haul dry vans, reefers, liquid bulk, doesn't matter. Leverage my equipment with the goal of making it as efficient as possible and maximize the utilization. And when I walked through this with executives, they, they were shocked, they were surprised, they didn't get when I wanted to pay drivers by the hour, so I had to walk them through the math of doing that, but then they realized it was a good idea. So, so far, I've never had a single executive say they wouldn't do it, 
They're just interested in seeing what the reaction is in the market. Welcome back, and thanks again to Britain for taking time for that interview. As a reminder, you're watching Live on Web's look at reimagining trucking. As we continue, we invite you to participate in the show. You can email questions or comments to share at ttnews.com, and we'll do our best to address them during the remainder of the program. You know, Dan, uh, let's go back to the topic of innovation and uh, just tell us from your reporting, you know, what are some of the other effects of innovation that you're seeing in this industry? Yeah, there, there's a broad range of impacts uh, that we're seeing, and, uh, but I think I can summarize them in, in three broad areas. Um, the first is automation, right, and where we're taking manual processes uh, like payments, mm -hmm. shipping documents, load matching, uh, regulatory compliance activities, all very paper intensive. We're seeing <clears throat> uh, ways of automating that. Secondly, um, shipment visibility. Uh, and that involves using sensors to monitor the location, condition of loads. Very important to shippers. Um, and then finally, business intelligence. And this is using computer software for the most part to help make decisions better, faster. So, and there are many examples to, uh, that we can point to, and <clears throat> one I would mention is um, a company uh, called Wire Sea Worldwide, uh, one of the largest um, LTL carriers in the country, and uh, been in the business a very long time. Um, they're using uh, software to improve their workflow and the routing of freight through their hub network. Sounds very basic, very simple. Um, but what this suggests to me is that we're, um, this is a sign that, that uh, we are acknowledging that computers can do some things better than humans, okay? And, 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 and in a small way, uh, YRC is, is, is conceding that yes, uh, we need help with our human dispatchers or whatever to make the best decisions about uh, moving their freight. Um, uh, another example, um, uh, at Covenant Transport, actually one of their operating subsidiaries called Southern Refrigerated Transport, um, is working with a company called WorkHound. And this is a, a startup that um, has developed a system for um, collecting feedback from drivers mm -hmm. about their working conditions, about um, um, their pay, everything. Uh, and this is um, uh, again something that um, uh, we're seeing um, used more and more in the industry as a way of connecting uh, management with their drivers. Um, and this is a connection that needs improvement. Uh, this is a, it's a relationship that needs improvement, let's say. And so there are, there are lots of new ways of, of, of accomplishing this, making these connections that are going to make things better for, for all of us. Um, another example uh, at a company called Liquid Trucking in Nebraska, here you had a, um, a manager who came up with a, the idea of using a smartphone app to record details about delivery and pickup uh, for his drivers. Now this used to be something that uh, drivers did on their own. Um, they maybe wrote things down on paper and, and passed it on to other people. Uh, uh, but more often or not, it. It, that knowledge uh, stayed with that driver and, and wasn't shared with anyone. So uh, it was a, a constant process of relearning, you know, what I need to know uh, about this particular location that will help me get in and out quicker, right? 
uh, holding up drivers is a big issue now, especially with the ELDs coming on board. So, so anyway, here's, here's an idea that, um, uh, um, that helped drivers do their jobs, and save time and money for, for management. Um, it, uh, it's something, um, a, a good illustration of how technology is helping. So a couple more quick uh, examples. Um, um, System Freight, uh, a company in New Jersey that does uh, mostly dedicated uh, contract carriage, um, is using diagnostic data to monitor the drivers and do predictive maintenance. Um, Brian Meets uh, at Hub Group uh, is uh, telling us that he thinks truck platooning uh, will become a very common technology in the industry and will be a step towards autonomous driving. Uh, so these are a little further out, uh, maybe on the horizon, but um, again, something that will uh, definitely uh, affect the industry going forward. Yeah, it'll be uh, so. interesting to see you know, <laughs> you know, more and more of these types of examples uh, come up in the years ahead. Yeah. And uh, before time gets away from us, I would like to circle back to the top 100 list. Okay. So Dan, maybe you can take us through that and share any uh, big examples of, of changes in, in this year's list from the previous year. Yes. Um, I don't know about you, but I love seeing this list every year, and, and ho hopefully um, our, our readers appreciate it too. You know, it's a um, it's a way of measuring, uh, you know, where you stand in the industry and how you compare to uh, your peers. Uh, so this year, um, even though the names on the list don't change all that much, uh, you know, there are some things to pay attention to. And this year, uh, we saw some big movers, we saw some big mergers, and we saw some big newcomers. And I'll take those one at a time. Um, so some of the big movers included uh, Dasky. Um, which I, um, I mentioned earlier is um, a, a very aggressive in making acquisitions. So um, it moved up the list uh, quite a bit, and it's now the second largest uh, flatbed group in the country after, after Landstar. So um, uh, another example is Evans Network. Um, this is an Ohio company that um, has been a, a major drage company um, over the years. It's now backed by some venture capital and it is uh, it's made some acquisitions and it's also expanded its, its business quite a bit. Uh, this is um, uh, putting a spotlight on a segment of the industry that is I think really gaining traction and uh, uh, raising its um, profile if you will in the industry and that's the intermodal drage uh, business. Uh, uh, goes without saying, you know, more of the freight that we look at today is coming in to the country from overseas. Um, you know, exports are also increasing. You know, trade is a big issue. So um, the, these connections at, at the ports and at rail hubs are, are, are very important to getting goods moved across the country. And so we're seeing uh, some, some companies. Another good example of that is um, NFI's purchase of California Cartage, right? right? That happened in the past year, and that has um, you know, not only boosted uh, NFI's rankings this year, um, um, it um, gives this company um, you know, an opportunity to um, uh, promote itself as a, um, uh, a service provider that um, can manage freight 
for a bigger uh, part of the, of the supply chain, if you will, right? So uh, NFI was always a big retail distributor, mm -hmm. right, in this gun, and still is. So, but now it's got the intermodal piece added to it, and you can see some, you know, some some opportunities there for that company going forward. So, um, in the category of mergers, um, again, um, you know, the biggest one this past year involved uh, the combination of Knight and Swift Transportation, right? Both major truckload carriers. There's some family overlap between these two companies. But what this combination has done is, is, is established Knight Swift as clearly the largest uh, truckload carrier in the country. There's, uh, this is a big business, and there are a lot of competitors in this field. But until now, we haven't had much separation between you know, the companies at the top and, and those that come underneath it. So, but, um, uh, but it will be interesting to see uh, how this company um, behaves um, going forward as, as a large company. I mean, um, there is consolidation going on in the industry, and as companies become larger and control more freight, you might think that they would have more control over uh, capacity and rates. Um, maybe they will. Uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, um, but that's a company to watch, I guess, going forward. And then finally, in the, in the category of newcomers, um, there's a company on the list for the first time this year called Lasership. And this is a company that uh, specializes in uh, delivering um, packages to customers who buy things online. Now, everyone knows e-commerce is um, a growing business and um, uh, but until now, we haven't seen, you know, who uh, is going to emerge as the primary carrier uh, for that kind of activity. Uh, we've got, um, uh, but this is one uh, right. laser ship that we should watch. Yes, and, and you know, this, the final mile space is really yeah. one to watch moving forward. It's yeah. a really fascinating part of uh, transportation, especially as e-commerce continues to grow. And, you know, uh, Lasership, of course, is not the only company that's playing in this, this, uh, this space. Uh, Dan, maybe you can take us through some other examples of other uh, trucking companies that are also really targeting Final Mile as a uh, new opportunity. Yeah. Um, um, it goes without saying that the parcel carriers, FedEx and UPS, are, are in this business in a big way and, and, and will continue to be. But over the past year, what we've seen is... Uh, the major truckload carriers, Werner, Schneider, um, XPO to some extent, um, establishing final mile business units, right? And uh, this is because a lot of their business is retail. And retail is moving from uh, storefronts to internet. And so uh, if they're going to continue serving those customers, they've got to provide a different kind of service. And um, um, if you look at trucking's, you know, you know, segments and how it's um, organized today, you know, we have LTL, less than truckload, which specializes in small shipments, um, and we have household goods carriers that are accustomed to getting goods into the homes. Now, you would think both of companies in both of those sectors would be ideal for accommodating this um, shift to, to online sales, but we haven't seen it. Um, 
and we're just seeing the truckload guys kind of move in this direction now. So there's been a kind of a slow adjustment here, and I think it's important to understand maybe why that, uh, why there's a little bit of a, a drag here, and, it, and I think it's because, you know, these established businesses have um, networks that are in place that are designed to meet um, existing needs for customers, and it's very difficult to, to change. And the bigger you are, the harder it is to, to kind of reinvent yourself, right? But um, again, to go back to the main topic of innovation here, um, I think the time has come for um, companies to um, make big changes, big and small changes in their business uh, so that they can meet these changing service requirements that we're seeing. And this is a very good example, if you watch the e-commerce space, uh, of where you'll see um, many of these companies making um, accommodations for that, I think. Sure. Okay. You know, and Dan, are there any other highlights from the list you'd like to share as we move on? Well, let's see, how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> um, well, um, you know, I like to keep track of, of um, total revenue for the top 100 carriers, if only because it's a shockingly big number. Uh, I think to tr the total trucking industry revenue, um, I think uh, Bob Costello of ATA has, uh, puts out data on this every year, um, is something like seven or $800 billion a year. So it's a giant industry, okay? The, the combined revenue for the top 100 carriers this year was $253.8 billion. Um, that, that's almost one-third of the total market uh, for, for trucking, and that's for hire and private combined, right? Um, that's a big share. Yeah. It's bigger than I would have imagined it. Yeah, it's still uh, a fragmented industry, but that clearly is a, a huge chunk of all of trucking. Yeah, and it gets bigger every year. So, um, uh, again, I don't think it's, it's so large that the industry is... Um, less competitive than it used to be, uh, it still is. And, and, uh, but I expect this trend to continue and, um, um, and it's, it's just something to keep an eye on. Um, um, so what's next? <laughs> well, you know, just kind of looking at the, uh, the sectors, you know, I know that there's, uh, uh, you know, maybe you can, take a look at um, you know, the very top of the list, of course. I mean, there's not a whole lot of movement there, but uh, we can acknowledge that you know, UPS and FedEx, of course, mm -hmm. continue to be the largest players, and, and kind of right below yeah. that, we, we see some, some yeah. interesting activity. Okay, Seth, here's the point I'd like to make about sectors, right? We, we do the top 100, and then we break down companies by 11 different sectors. Um, and this is a reflection of, of how companies over time have identified themselves and their service levers. This, this is gonna change, okay? And, I, and, if, and if I can, go back to my example with J.B. Hunt. Here's a company that is very big in, in truckload, intermodal uh, sectors. But if you look at how the company defines itself, they don't talk about being a truckload carrier or an intermodal carrier. They talk about being a service provider, right? And so they, uh, um, and I think this is important to understand because this will affect all companies eventually. Uh, shippers, for the most part, 
are only interested in what you can do for them in the way of providing services. And and if you're stuck in in a in in a rut, if you will, as, as being only a truckload carrier or only an LTL carrier, and, and this is what you do, and you uh, you're going to limit your your options, I think. Right. And so, um, I mean, obviously, the bigger companies have more opportunities, um, maybe to expand their services, but but even small co smaller companies, I think, again, through the use of technology and partnerships and and uh, uh, using you know, freight brokerage as a way of connecting different carriers. Um, you're going to see more collaboration might be the best word, but more sharing of, of, uh, of assets um, between different companies in order to provide what shippers really want, which is, you know, fast service, inexpensive or whatever. Uh, you know, that pressure is always going to be there. So, right. so, uh, so stay tuned. I mean, we're... Uh, um, you know, I hope viewers, you know, like what we do now, but I, but I think in the future it might look a little different um, in terms of how we present the, sure. our companies. You know, it's getting tougher and tougher to pigeonhole companies that are doing yeah. so much now. I mean, you think of all these, these big fleets that have their own brokerage arms and are now competing in so many different sectors of the trucking industry, not just, say, their, what they started in. Uh, so it's, it's more and more difficult to, to simply de define a company as, as one thing or, or something else. And uh, before we run out of time, I would like to move on to some questions that we received uh, from our viewers and a little bit of a, a mix of topics here. Mm -hmm. But we got one from Stephen Silverman of Silver Solutions Consulting. Uh, it's a question about uh, the current freight market and increasing freight rates. And uh, his question is, do you believe that the trucking industry has the discipline to keep prices high? And uh, Dan, I know you have a, an opinion on that one. W what are your thoughts? The answer is no. And, you know, in the 30 years I've been covering the trucking industry, I've seen, you know, several uh, markets like we're in now where, where demand is quite strong and capacity is tight. It never lasts more than two or three years. Um, the industry is um, still... Uh, too big and and too decentralized for any one or handful of companies to uh, control pricing. Uh, that's a market function still and probably will be for some time. Um, um, and, and and right now, you know, the, the the incentives. The reason these these marketing conditions don't last very long is because the incentives for adding capacity right now are just irresistible. Uh, um, people are making money, right? So it's easy to acquire, relatively easy to acquire more equipment, and and that's why truck orders are through the roof right now, and um, shippers are begging for more service. Uh, someone's going to provide that, and sooner or later, you know, the capacity will exceed the supply, sure. uh, even if we don't have a recession. I, right. I think eventually this will self-correct. <laughs> so yeah, Always so, goes back to that equilibrium. Yeah, so don't get too comfortable uh, <laughs> with the current market uh, conditions. Words of wisdom, I think. And uh, here's another question that we got. Uh, this one's from Ray Gerald of RG Group. And he asks, how do drivers find parking to comply with service requirements? Uh, you know, as we all know, truck parking is a uh, growing concern across the truck, trucking industry. And, you know, it's been that way for a while. We've had the rollout of the ELD mandate, and that's increased 
the industry's focus on hours of service compliance. And part of that, of course, is making sure that drivers are taking the rest breaks and staying within the, the driving time limits that are, are mandated. Uh, so that's putting even more emphasis on this parking issue. Uh, and technology, I think, is also part of the answer here. And that we see uh, a number of mobile apps, uh, driver applications that drivers can use to help locate available spaces. They can see how many spaces are available at uh, different rest stops on their, on their route and make better decisions and, and just plan better. So I think that's part of the answer there. And uh, I also wanted to move on to a couple questions we received dealing with uh, blockchain. Uh, Trent Charlton at Transcend uh, Consulting asks, uh, do you imagine blockchain playing uh, a part in the future of the supply chain? And uh, we also got a similar question from uh, Diraj Ravi of AT Kearney. Uh, can you please describe uh, the impact that uh, artificial intelligence, algorithms, blockchain, and other technology will have on various fleet management practices such as route management, uh, network optimization, fuel management, and driver retention. Uh, actually, the Adelic example earlier is a good one uh, for AI and algorithms, and uh, we've got two questions here on blockchain. You know, I'll say that there is certainly a growing interest in the part of trucking companies in blockchain, the potential that it has uh, to improve efficiency and, and just and to streamline transactions of, of many different types. Uh, but we're still pretty early uh, in, in the process here. Uh, there's a group uh, known as the Blockchain and Transport Alliance that's been getting a lot of attention. A lot of uh, uh, companies within the trucking industry have joined. And most of that work right now is focused on setting standards. You know, we're, we're starting to look at the potential, we're looking at the possibility, and we're starting to create the framework uh, that will, will eventually be used by trucking companies that are interested in blockchain as a, a better way of, of doing business. Uh, Dan, do you have anything to add on you know, this idea of, of blockchain making inroads in trucking? Yeah, sure. Just that it, it, it's clear that there are efforts underway now to create private um, self-contained um, blockchain uh, networks involving carriers and specific shippers. So this is, this is where it's going to start. Um, we'll see a number of these uh, um, develop um, organically uh, over the next year or two, then you know we'll see how it spreads. Um, this this idea of setting standards is you know crucial to gaining broad acceptance of, of blockchain. And but uh, I can tell you um, there are carriers and there are shippers who are committed to doing this. Uh, it, it is definitely a thing, <laughs> and. We'll see more of it. Yep, not not just a fad. We we yeah. expect to be watching this develop uh, for many years to yep. come. And uh, another question. I'll get to one more before we wrap up. Uh, this one's from uh, Michael Antonique, uh, and he asks. Uh, there's a comment first about automation. Uh, some seaports are already using fully autonomous container platforms. In the view of the panelists, in how many years will level five autonomy reach class eight trucks? Uh, level five being the point at which a, a fully autonomous truck can handle all driving conditions and go anywhere that a truck with a driver can go. Uh, you know, maybe even the steering wheel is optional at that point. Uh, let me just say that that is the very end point of this progression. You know, we're, we're just now entering this, this movement toward greater automation, building on active safety technology and driver assist technology. 
uh, that is the very, that's kind of the final state and I think is still very far away. Uh, what, we'll, what we will see uh, for on-road applications at least, I think is a, a gradual uh, evolution of active safety. We'll see more and more movement and more and more uh, systems like automated steering added to what we have today, building toward a highway autopilot system. Uh, there are companies working toward uh, unmanned autonomous uh, trucking, but only in specific areas, say highway only on certain routes from hub to hub, uh, but not going into cities, not, not do, handling any sort of uh, uh, driving with um, uh, stoplights and pedestrians with all the added variables and complexity. So what we're likely to see in on-road is a more gradual move toward automation and we may see some early pioneers who move toward, say, a level four automation where the truck can completely drive itself uh, without driver input, but only in certain conditions on certain roads, on certain routes. That's, that's what we're likely to see in the coming years. Uh, I will say that your, the level five concept, the fully autonomous uh, vehicle, is more likely to be seen in a private site, uh, maybe even a truck terminal, uh, you know, a terminal tractor is an example where maybe it could reach a point uh, in the foreseeable future where uh, this is a, a now an unmanned vehicle, but that's away from the public. That's in a, a closed uh, condition, closed, closed site. Um, and uh, with that, uh, I think that I'm looking at the clock and uh, it's about time to wrap up here. So let me just say that this has been a, an informative discussion um, and uh, now is a great time to to bring the program to a close. And Dan and I would like to thank Hayden Cardiff, Ryan Rogers, and Britton Ladd for participating in the program today. And we'd also like to again thank our sponsors, EBE and Fleet Locate. If you missed part of the show or would like to watch it again, a replay will be posted later today on our website, ttnews.com, and on liveonweb.ttnews.com. Live on Web will return in August to discuss the upcoming release of TT's top 100 ranking of the largest private carriers in North America. Until then, thanks for watching.